Okay, cool. So how's everything over there? Things are good, man. We got in last night with the team. Um, we have a scrimmage this afternoon and then practice tomorrow. And then we play the following day, our first summer league game. So things are ramping up pretty nicely. Is the summer league schedule crazy as like the season? You know, it's, in, in terms of density, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. You know, and we've had about a week to 10 days to ramp up for it. So guys are, guys are in shape, ready to go. Cool, man. I, I never launched your like uh, book last year and launched your like online education recently, right? Been following you probably like since like two or three years ago. I, I can't remember. But anyway, can you like introduce yourself for the coaches in Taiwan? For sure. Uh, my name is Daniel Bove. I'm the director of performance and sports science for the New Orleans Pelicans. In my current role, I oversee strength and conditioning and sports science. I, I sort of try to make sports science applicable. Um, I try to utilize it in our physical preparation strategies. Um, I try to take the, the numbers and actually make them useful. Cool, man. So, like, I know there's a lot of, like, uh, NBA strength coaches or like basketball strength coaches like share your book or your system like the quadrant system so what exactly is like the quadrant system sure so the goal of the quadrant system when we first started I first started writing it uh, was really just to put my philosophy on paper of what I was dealing with in the NBA setting and that would be a tons of chaos so crazy schedule, uh, not only a lot of games within a week, but then also all the travel, all the different time zones, everything that kind of goes into that, the chaos of that, uh, the chaos, obviously having, uh, you know, multiple different roles within the team, having starters, rotation guys, development projects, having to navigate those. Um, and then the second part, the B, would actually be looking at the consolidation of stress. So we have the court stress that happens within the lines of the basketball court. And then we have the stress that we impose on them in the physical preparation world, where we're actually trying to make them more robust so that they can play their sport at a more consistent level and hopefully injury free level. So the book really, or the philosophy in general was started around consolidation of stress and then the management of chaos. And, you know, do you want me to dive into sort of the, the premise? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it started off, I, I sort of wanted to be able to map out what I wanted to do in the weight room on a daily basis. So I always sort of worked backwards from the sport, not only when I'm periodizing through the year, but also when I'm deciding on a given day, I think everything should really be based around, okay, what stress or adaptation are we trying to push on the court? So that sort of led me to, okay, well, when I program from a strength conditioning standpoint, where you typically we start with volume and intensity and exercise selection. So I created this, this quadrant model where we have an X and a Y axis, the Y axis usually uh, signaling volume and then, or sorry, yeah, Y axis usually is volume, X is intensity. It can be whatever you want it to be. Um, you can set it up. There's going to be four quadrants regardless. And then I sort of plot whatever day you know, the court, whatever the court looks like on that given day, it will 
be in one of the quadrants and then it sort of decides for me like what okay what are we doing on that given day in the weight room and that sort of led to you know categorizing and creating a classification system for the model i read the book so uh love that uh, but it's kind of like it's kind of like different with like let's say traditional like periodization right can you explain it how is it different and why it's different hmm. i think it's different only in the the micro right so i think it's only different in that it's it's basically giving you a really adaptable model to be able to change midstream so from day to day in the NBA, things are always changing. You know, practice times are changing. The intensity of the practice is changing based on what you originally planned, as it should. There's different factors that come up, and you can't follow a cookie-cutter approach year-round. You do have to, to make changes in the trenches. So it, it basically it creates a model that allows you to be adaptive. Um, but then in the long term, it also follows sort of, and we talk about this in the book, where you can still follow sort of a block periodization approach. You can still wave things throughout the year, decide, okay, when are the high density, uh, high density game periods? When are the low density periods? Okay, when are the blocks where I need to actually perform at the highest level? And then how do we peak guys for that? But then within those blocks, you can be super adaptable. And you know, you can, you can pull back on volume and intensity. You can change exercise selection, but still remain in the desired block. And that's, that's sort of what the, the system allows you to do. And because you're basically going into any day with four different options on what you can do, it's really easy to make those decisions, those you know, quick decisions that you need to make when you're working at this level. But since you won't be able to like, not really won't be able, but it's not like you will plan out like the whole year periodization. How do you expect that uh or like what would you be expecting when or like what the outcome would you be expecting when it comes to like uh performance how do you expect them if do you want like when would be like they're they're going to be jumping higher or like running faster that kind of stuff okay uh let me know if i'm answering your question um so I, I sort of spoke about this just, just a moment ago, but when you map out the season, it's very easy to look through, okay, these are the games that are the must wins. Um, maybe this is a period of time where it's like, okay, we need to dial in. Obviously, if you're a playoff team, you want to make sure you're peaking for the playoffs. If you're a contending team, if you're a team that can contend, you want to be peaking towards late playoffs, right? You don't want to peak too early. So I think – everyone out there who's a physical preparation coach, you know what those, those KPIs are. You know what those physical markers are, whether you're using neuromuscular profiling on a force plate, um, whether you're looking at LPS slash GPS slash accelerometry data, looking at trends there, whether you're looking at subjective, you know, screens with like a questionnaire, there's a million different ways. Everyone has their own thing in their own environment. You know, we do a ton of force plate testing and I think, I think that's very useful. Um, you know, you can even, you can even judge it by RPEs in, in like internal, internal versus external load monitoring. There's a ton of ways to do it without getting into the nitty gritty, but, um, 
there are periods throughout the year when you want to see those markers really trending in the right way. Now, I, I personally, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of in the camp of there are times in the year where I actually want, I want those markers to go down when we're adapting, when we're adapting and we're in a cycle that's about overreaching. I expect you to be extremely fatigued. I don't want to see, I don't want to see your markers trending super high because it means we're not doing enough work. We're not putting you in enough of a hole, but you need to time that properly so that when you're coming out of that hole, you're ready to perform at a high level. So you know, it's a, there's this duality of it. So you need to be able to, to give and take and, and time it properly. Um, so again, there's times throughout the year when we are pushing it, there's times when we're pulling back and uh, the season is, is, it's that constant struggle between those two. Cool. So just like what you just mentioned at the beginning, you have to map out the year, the schedule of the game, like what you just said, what are the game like which games are the must wins, right? And just depend on that to like uh, do your programming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So must wins, but then also like you have to be realistic too about, okay, when are, like, when are you, when are you going to push the volume? When, when are you going to pull back? And you try to overlap that with times that are, that makes sense from a, like a, game frequency standpoint like there'll be some there'll be a there'll be some months where you have five or six back-to-backs just like an insane schedule and then there'll be some months where okay maybe you only have like two and you know that allows you to do certain things within your program so you sort of have to start with okay what does the frequency look like that's the first thing and then you can start to sort of you know pick and choose okay this is when okay, we're on the road during this time, probably not a great time to throw a ton of train, like training load at them because, well, first of all, logistically, you don't have the logistics on the road. You do, you can do some stuff on game nights because arenas do offer that ability, but it's like, you do need to find out, okay, when can I actually get it in? Cool. That's cool. I love it. So uh, in your book, you talk about like, uh, when it's high day, you should probably put like high stress, right? And low day, probably do low, right? So why should we like, when it's like high, like high intensity or like high volume on the uh, court work, why should you like put some high stress on the gym? And when it's low, why should we stay low at the gym? Yeah. So, I mean, the body, the body doesn't really discriminate when it comes to stress, stress is stress, uh, whether it's in the weight room or on the court. And obviously there are things that we're doing in the weight room that are going to preserve, uh, tissue, right. Whether that's tendon, muscle, connective tissue, whatever it is, there's things that we do that we're trying to basically create that robust system. So we do need to get that work in. The problem is, is when you have an off day, so if I have a game and then I have a day off and then I play again, um, a lot of times, you know, when I was first coming into the league, this isn't necessarily, this isn't necessarily what was happening in basketball. This is sort of what I saw happening a little bit everywhere is because strength coaches want to matter so much, they'll do their hardest lifts on off days because they get, they get time with the athlete, right? 
But the problem with doing that is in the NBA setting is when you have a game and you have an off day and then you have a game, you're basically making that off day yeah. elevated stress. And then you kind of have this flatlining effect. So you're not giving the body any ability to recover. So what I sort of was, you know, came to, to realize is like, Hey, let's make our hard days really hard. Let's stress the body really, really hard on those, those game days. Ideally post game is when we do our lifts and then we get them, we give them the ability to recover fully and then come back and do it again on the next game. So the goal was to keep the high highs high and the lows low. And um, it actually, it's funny. This goes back to what I was just saying in the, in the previous question is, you, you do have to decide. So that's the micro. You have to decide on the macro. Okay. During those elevated periods of game frequency, are we going to stick with that same model? And I've sort of gone back and forth. I've done both in those high frequency uh, periods. I've still loaded the guys up. And then there's times when I pulled back. And I think you do have to have some nuance with when you do that. You do need to, to consider, okay, what are the, what are the long-term and short-term goals of the team? Um, what is the roster makeup like? What is the training age of these guys? There's a ton of factors that go into like how you decide to do that. Cool. So since, let's say, since it's, let's say it's a high stress day, it's game day. And since it's a high day, how do you like uh, program the lifts, the volume in the gym? Yeah. So in, in the quadrant model, and again, I've, I've reiterated this in the book, whatever, whatever you decide, like it, it's based on your environment and your uh, it's just based on the context of what you deal with on, on a daily basis of what you put in a quadrant four versus a three versus a two versus a one in our system, when it's high volume, high intensity, which tends to be a game day, that's a quadrant four. We usually do our strength work and that is usually the slower, heavier lifting. Um, why do we do that? Well, obviously we all know the benefits of strength training, right? We, we, everyone who's listening to this podcast already knows why we do it. But one of the things is when you're working with pro basketball players, a lot of them, they're Ferraris, right? And they move really fast and powerfully. And that's sort of, that's sort of in their nature. When you have them slow down and you're doing heavy resistance training, that tends to be what they perceive as the highest stress. Some of them will perceive that as a higher stress than actually going out and playing basketball. Most of them do. So it only makes sense to make that on a game day, considering that it's, it, they look at that as the hardest thing. Yeah. So I would like, and, and we all know the importance of the mind and the mind body yeah. connection and how important, how important what the mind actually thinks is going on yeah. is, is. So that's one of the reasons that I've sort of placed that on, on a game day and usually post game is when we do that. Yeah. So how, like how was the volume going to be like the value what what do you mean by value like if it's let's say like if it's like trap bar deadlift is it going to be like uh I see. three three by five or like uh i don't know yeah i know i see what you're saying yeah honestly again it's going to depend on what block we're in um i will be a little bit more open to like whether we're in like an overreaching phase or whether we're in like a peaking phase, I will lower the reps when we're really trying to peak. And maybe we're doing like heavy doubles, heavy triples, three to four sets. Um, 
And then when we're really able to push the volume, we might be hitting a three by five, but I am, or maybe like a, a four by five trap bar deadlift. We could even elevate it from the floor just so we're getting like, we're stimulating that CNS, but we're not really going through the range of motion. We'll do a Hatfield variation. Um, but when it comes to the, the resistance and the percentages, you know, I, I'm big on VBT. I really do like, I really do like creating that threshold for guys to sort of you know, stay, stay over. Um, on game days, you know, usually we're going to be probably between 0.5 and 0.75 meters per second, like uh, mean velocity. Um, and then, you know, when we're peaking, we might elevate that. Maybe we're doing like 0.75 to 0.85, somewhere in that range. Um, and, and it obviously changes. And, and the cool thing about once you get an idea of where these guys are, it's, you know, we're not strapping up gym aware every single time. You do have an idea of sort of like where they fall and you do, you do get an idea of how fast is, how fast it is just by looking at it. So um, yeah, no, we've, we've, we've had some real good success using that. Cool. So we talk a lot about like the quadrant system, but like, uh, I know there's like four quadrant of, of it, right? Can you like uh, introduce to us, like what is like quadrant one look like and what is like quadrant two, quadrant three and four? Sir, so if you just if you just if you just visualize sort of this like X, this quadrant, um, we have high volume, low volume at the bottom, uh, left to right, we've got high low intensity, high intensity. Uh, so in the bottom, we've got quadrant one, which is low volume, low intensity. That's going to be recovery. Okay, so that's that's going to be your off day, or it's going to be a day when maybe the team does film or some type of a walkthrough, but they're not really doing much. Um, that's going to be rest and recovery in the weight room as well. Okay. So maybe we, we do some, some accelerated recovery with them. You throw in some, you know, whether it's Norma tech or whatever it is you're trying to do uh, just for recovery That's an easy day. If you go up to quadrant two, it's going to be high volume, low intensity. That's usually our repetition quadrant. So, you know, you're looking at more time under tension, repetitions, tempo training, maybe some yielding isometrics. Um, and then we go down to quadrant three, which on court is going to be high intensity, but low volume. Maybe the team is just getting up and down the court, maybe 10 to 15 minutes of live play, maybe 20, but it's probably under an hour in duration. That's when we're going to probably hit, we still hit strength, but maybe we're more on like the power end um, of the continuum. And then we're looking at RFD. It's it, I label it as speed in the book. When I say sp speed, it's not like they're going out and running, you know, max velocity sprints. It's more so like, contraction speed i'm looking at deceleration rfd maybe some like some power work on the kaiser things like that um and then obviously we go up to quadrant four which is what we just spoke about on a game day and that would be strength cool so uh here's one thing i really like about the book is you kind of like walk through all the methods of like uh recovery right like that's that's like meditation, yoga, mobility work, like cold shower, sauna, that kind of stuff, right? Really love that. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, You know what, though, with the recovery stuff, you know, I've, I've seen, it's so funny because you see some athletes that maybe they do, they do a recovery modality and that's complete opposite of what you would want them to do from like a textbook standpoint. But like at the end of the day, it's really like what they believe in to work. 
and that's what's going to work best. <laughs> so, you know, you can read that recovery section and, you know, you might have athletes that do the complete opposite. Um, and there's overlap too. It's like, there's, there's recovery modalities that are going to affect both neural and tissue. Right. And yeah. they all do in some, in some regards. So, um, so yeah, that was a fun section to, to sort of write. <laughs> so uh, there's a post on your Instagram talks about like the third dimensional approach for quadrant system, right? So we talk about is like the two dimensional approach, right? There's volume and intensity. So what is like the third dimensional approach will be look yeah. like? Yeah, so the third dimension um, that we talk about in the book really briefly is, well, it can be fatigue. So how fatigued an athlete is. So when I'm choosing on a given day, whether to do two sets, three sets, or four sets, let's just use that as, as an example. Um, you know, if I want to maybe create like a traffic light type system that gives me how fatigued an athlete is, and I just talked about the volume and the intensity of the quadrants, well, that third axis can actually be fatigue. So um, guy comes in and I'm deciding between two sets and four sets and whether I have, maybe I have a way of determining his readiness level, whether that's force play, subjective questionnaire, or maybe just talking to the guy and looking at his face and seeing, okay, he's drained. Okay. This guy did not sleep well last night. Um, and I need him to perform at a high level tomorrow. Well, that's, that becomes that third axis. And that actually decides, okay, are you doing two sets? Are you doing four? Or are you doing zero? Am I just kicking you out of the weight room and having you do some recovery today? Um, that's sort of where like the third dimension comes into is really just moment being like, you know, you're here, you're here, you're doing four, you're doing two sets, you're doing three sets, or maybe I had a 45 second yielding isometric plan. You know what? We're going to pull that back. We're going to go 30 seconds today with you specifically because you're extremely fatigued with, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And you mentioned like most, most of the time you do post game lift, right? I know some of some of the team do like pre-game lift. They don't really do po post-game lift, but like, uh, and you talk this in your book. There's like how you're gonna decide you're gonna do like pre-practice strength work, right? Mm. Like post-game lift. So how do like, uh, can you talk a little bit deeper? Like why do you do like post-game lift, and how do you decide you're gonna do it before the practice or after the practice? You know what, there's, there's, there's a, ideally, I've sort of talked about this in the book where like in the off season, if, if a player's goal is to change their body and adapt from a physical standpoint, I do think that that portion of training, the, the body, the physical preparation, I do think that that should be at the forefront. Um, I, I really come down to, I think whatever you're doing, whether you're doing like whatever you're doing first should be the most important thing in that given time. And during the season, the most important thing is to perform at a high level. It's to play basketball. And I don't want to take any resources away from that. Unless you do have a player and you do have these guys that they their routine throughout their career, or maybe even maybe even college, they like to get a lift in pregame. And in those cases, I 100% accommodate the athlete. And that might be exactly what they need to get ready for the contest. 
Otherwise, because games are such a high priority, I don't want to take away resources. I'll actually wait until after. And then it's cool because I can see, you know, based on the minutes they play, it's that might determine in the same way we talked about the third dimension with fatigue, you can actually decide, okay, this guy's doing two sets, three sets, or four sets based on playing time. So you can start to kind of dial in on that as well. Um, so, yeah, and then so during the season, you know, I always prefer the sport kind of, you know, come before the physical prep. Um, and then there's, time, there's times on practice days where guys will lift before practice, depending on what type of day it is. But, um, but yeah, does that answer your question, Eric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, here's, here's one of the reasons or like the biggest reason I love the book is because I work with like at basketball team, like since three or like four years ago. And I think no matter where you are, the, the basketball team, the schedule is like crazy. <laughs> like whatever country you're in the basketball team schedule was like crazy yeah so it couldn't like literally couldn't follow like linear periodization or like the textbook said yeah it took me like a long time to figure out how to do it and like is there like any i don't know just figuring out how to do it and there's literally i can't say that there's like probably no I, I haven't read anything about like how to really do this kind of stuff. Right. And then like, uh, last year I saw like, uh, I saw a post and I saw Corey share the quadrant system and other like strength coach saw your, your book and like share it. And here's one thing. I couldn't find it in Taiwan. <laughs> I couldn't find it on Amazon. So I just, I, I, I think probably like I'm going to, I'm going to find it later. So I waited like uh, at the beginning of this year, still no. Then finally, I just think I should buy it on online ebook. <laughs> anyway, read yeah. it, love it. And I really, I really think that uh, not just for performance coach or like strength coach work with like basketball team, probably like rugby, because I also work with like rugby and soccer. I think like all kinds of like, just if like the strength coaches work with like teams or athletes, they should read it. It's really like good, really good. Yeah, you know what, when I wrote it, it came from a lens of trying to combine the player development and the physical preparation side, because I do think at this level, at really any level, I do think they need to be sort of married in their approach and they need to be in lockstep with each other. Otherwise, it's, it's just it's not going to it's not going to work right um, to go. Actually, what's funny, what you just mentioned, the book is actually as of today is on Amazon. So. I so just I put it on Amazon, so it's, it is available now. Uh, we have the English version and the, um, like a Mandarin version is going to come out in like a week or two. So you'd be on the lookout for that. Cool. So how, how about the Game Day Live t-shirt? <laughs> oh, um, dude, those things, those things are fun. The, I, some of the players actually I have, uh, have 
they, some of the players wear them and they love them. <laughs> <laughs> Pull up, man. Did you, put, did you put it on your like uh, website? Yeah, yeah, those those are on the site. So they're not, they're, is... not, they're not shipping international though. Oh shit. No worries, <laughs> no worries. I'm I'm coming to the state next year. No worries. I'm gonna buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Uh there's a there's one thing, there's a topic you discuss a little in the book, and I know the the MBSCA, right? It's going to help, like, France Bosch, right? Can you hear me? So, uh, what are your thoughts on, like, things like uh, muscle slack or, like, hip block for, like, training teams for athletes? Yeah, so with the muscle slack thing, um, you know, I'm obviously, I'm not friends, Bosch and, you know, his system is super intricate and he could talk circles around what I'm about to say, but the way I look at it really is, is the ability to go from relaxation to contraction and to be able to do that repeatedly and do it reciprocally. So being able to go from left to right to left to right off on, off on, which I, I see in this sport, especially when you have guard play, um, is extremely important. When you watch a guy like Kyrie, you watch a guy like James Harden, their ability to turn off and on, boom, um, stop, and then redirect. I, I think it's really important to be able to have that quality. And it really comes down to it's, it's, it's RFD and it's elasticity. And, you know, one of the methods that I sort of picked up from actually working with Corey when we were in Phoenix together is, is sort of these kettlebell switches and these these kettlebell self passes and getting into a rhythm. And when you actually, it's funny, when you look at them on the force plate, the, the cool thing about them is you're actually not hitting, you're not hitting the peak forces that you hit when you do something like a pogo hop or uh, like a drop jump or depth jump. Um, but you are getting a pretty, like pretty, uh, like a pretty sloped R, uh, rate of force development. You are getting that RFD that you need, and it's not going to beat the body up with the peak forces. So it is getting your, it's teaching you the ability to decelerate and then relax, decelerate, relax, decelerate, relax. So I'm a big fan of the kettlebell switches, and there's different variations you can do with them there. Um, but that's one of the reasons I, I think that quality is important for basketball. How about, how about stuff like, uh, there's some of the movement was like, uh, single leg like clean that kind of stuff hmm. yeah you know i've messed around with those um you know but like i kind of i kind of go back and forth i i do like the single leg cleans the single leg snatches i do like them from a like a like a return to play standpoint as sort of like an intermediate between you know going from like doing nothing to like maybe high speed running, something like that. Um, but you know, when I, when I talked to Joel Smith about it and you know, he, he kind of opened up my eyes to the fact that like, it doesn't really emulate sprinting. If you, if you slow down sprinting and you look at it in slow motion, it, it the mechanics are a little bit different, a little bit off. And he can, he can speak to you about that a little bit more in depth than I can, but um, you know, timing that knee extension and that hip extension in a way that actually resembles running is, is a little bit more important. I do think from a, from a pure like physical prep standpoint, I do think there is some, 
some translation there, um, but maybe not in the specific sense that some people discuss, including what I used to believe. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. There's like, because there's like uh, one of the coaches in Taiwan where like doing uh, France ball system, like train like teams for athlete. And I was like really interested in those kind of stuff. So still buying some book online, but not really, but I'm more of a traditional guy. So still like figuring what that is. And saw you did something like that, or and saw Corey did something like that. I was like, "Well, I gotta ask." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The next question, I I heard it from the podcast you did with Rob Pacey. To be honest, man, I like literally finished off the podcast you did. <laughs> man, it was interesting. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Why? Why, man? It's good. Uh, I mean, no, it's no, good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, this question, I heard it from, like, uh, the podcast you did with, like, Pacey Performance Podcast. And it's about, like, force play. So, uh, is there, like, certain movement or certain tests you're going to do on the force plate? And what... Like, what kind of data are you going to look at, too, and why? Yeah, I mean, we do, to be completely honest, like, we, we do pretty much any force play test you could imagine. We do, that's definitely during the year, during the preseason, like, when we're profiling guys, you know, we do we do our drop jumps, we do we do our pogos, we do our squat jumps so the, uh, with arms, without arms. Um, but during the season, I mean, the one that we really use most is the counter movement jump, and that's with hands on hips. And, you know, a lot of practitioners out there already know it, it reduces the noise of the test. So you're trying to control the movement as much as possible so that you can actually deduce what's happening at the neuromuscular level for the lower body. So uh, the counter movement jump is something we do weekly. Sometimes we do it twice a week with certain guys throughout the year. Um, so counter movement jump is definitely our go-to. IMTP is something we also do to profile and we do pre- periodically throughout the year. Um, as far as, you know, metrics, it depends on exactly what we're trying to do with each guy. I, I'm really into keeping it extremely simple, looking at real basic things like obviously just, you know, peak force impulse, both eccentric and concentric or breaking and propulsive. I know uh, people get lambasted for, for whether they use the term breaking or eccentric, um, but uh, contraction time. And then looking at simple things like counter movement depth and just velocity and just seeing like how, okay, a guy's counter movement depth is a little bit off. All right, why is that happening? What did his force outputs look like? What was the contraction time like? Like just seeing how everything relates um, on the, the real simple level. So you know, it depends on what we're trying to do with each athlete. And that's really going to determine what metrics we're, we're trying to look at. Cool. And obviously there's the readiness component. Are you looking for readiness? Or are you trying to monitor like gains from training or, you know, maybe regression, progression, you know, what have you. Cool. So, uh, when, when, when it comes to like force blade, there's like the force blade was like, designed to like test vertical force right 
So how is it going to like help like multi-directional movement? I know there's like a little bit of debate about it, but what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I mean, when we do anything multi-directional or any type of change of direction, um, you have to load or you have to unload and load before you do anything. So it actually does, in my opinion, it really does translate to change of direction or any type of acceleration. You have to load your center mass and then push. Um, I think when you start to really look at the metrics and you look, and you start to understand the phases of a counter movement jump, you start to understand how we, we sort of yield to gravity and how we unload to get ourselves into a position where we can push off. Now, obviously it's not going to be a direct correlation to something like a, you know, a lateral shuffle or a, uh, like a hard cut, like a 90 degree cut. It's like, if you want to do that, go test that. Right. It's like, it's, it would be like me saying like, Hey, the counter movement jump is a, is a high, has a high correlation to high speed running. It's like, well, I don't care about that. It's like, if I, if I want to have a correlation to high speed running, I'm going to go do high speed running. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I do think it's a really good, uh, I think it's a really good proxy for just overall lower body neuromuscular status and profile. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would, I would say it does apply to, to multi-directional stuff, but um, you just have to keep it in context. Yeah, get it. That was cool. Last thing before I let it go, okay? So I know you work with like different teams before and now you're with the Pelicans. Is throughout like your career with the team sort, what are the like most important thing you learn, or, or let's say if you have a chance to like, uh, talk to you like ten years before, what would what would the suggestion be like? Ooh, that's a that's a phenomenal question. <laughs> it's one I got to think about for a second. You know what? I, and I know you're not asking this, but like, like, I don't think I would change anything about my path. Um, so like what advice I'd give myself, like, or honestly, what are, yeah. Or honestly, what are like, yeah. Cause like, if I told myself, <laughs> this is getting into a real like deep discussion. It's like, if I told myself anything in the past, it would have changed the outcome to where I am now. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about like sort of my path and, and what I've gone through and I wouldn't be what I am today if anything changed. So I don't know if I would change anything. <laughs> um, cool. There's obviously always things you can do better. There's always things you can do better. And I think, yeah. uh, I think at a young age, I do think, um, I think this goes for any practitioner who's trying to work in professional sports. I do think the better, you know, the sport from an X's and O's and skill standpoint, I do think it gives you an edge in the physical preparation space. Space. So yeah. maybe maybe I'm taking a detour from your question. No worries. But love it. I do Love think it. that's important. I do think you're at a huge advantage in the physical preparation profession when you have that background with a given sport. I do think you can. I do think you can be successful working in a sport if you didn't play it at a high level or even at all. 
but you are treading upstream and you have to work even harder to get there. Yeah. So um, that would be a recommendation for anyone trying to work, I, I think, at the pro level. And then how about uh, what are the most important lesson or the thing you learned throughout your career? I think, I think first and foremost, I think you definitely need to double down on what you're good at and um, find those one or two things that you're really, really good at. Maybe three things that you're really, really good at and double down on them and find a way to connect them and be, I think, unique in whatever that area is, um, that would be, I, I, that's, that's probably my answer for that one. Cool. Appreciate it, man. Love it. Yeah. So this was fun. You asked questions. <laughs> the most important thing, where can they find the book and the online course and uh, also your website, the, the game they left web the game they lift t-shirt and yeah what are the future yeah yeah so um we have a course out it's on athleteframework.com so you can check that out it's it kind of dives into the whole quadrant system um it also comes with some of the excel tools that we've put out and the ebook I uh, highly recommend the course for anyone who's sort of just getting accustomed to the system. But then we also have the paperback version of the book that is on the website, athleteframework.com. But then it's also now on Amazon. So if you want to order it there, go ahead and check that out. And um, but yeah, I'm active on social media, Twitter at Daniel Bove, and then Instagram at Daniel Bove. So hit me up there if you have any questions or you want to talk shop, always down the chat. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it, man. That's, that's, that's what we got going on now. Cool. Personally, I really love that book. That kind of like helped me like sort out like all the questions I have for like uh, planning or doing any program for like team, teams or athletes. And there's like uh, some of the like coaches work with like pro basketball team or like uh, university level basketball team. They reach out to me and uh ask me how do, do i do the programming we recommend this book the quadrant system yeah so they can buy it on amazon right now right yep yep i appreciate that eric i mean your words mean a lot man and uh you know i was it was just trying to write something that was useful to the community and that reflected what i was working with in the in the trenches so i, I i'm glad that it it kind of resonated with you cool man appreciate it